Thanks so much for joining me today on the Cocktail Podcast. I'm your host, Gary. In case you're new to the show, I'm the editor and relevant tax expert here at Fortner.com. I will help you with your taxes as long as you promise to indemnify me from prosecution if you end up going to jail. In case you're new to the show, you may know me as the DM for Quest for the Cure, as Cicero on Cyberpunk Independence, as Doc on Scribes and Scrolls, as Dr. Cornelius on Dreadful Tales, yes, it seems I am typecasting myself, or sailing on the SS Failboat over on Talon and Claw. If you like what you hear, please subscribe to the show or follow us on social media at fortnerd.com. That's fortnerd, D-O-T-C-O-M, or both. Both works for me, but whatever works for you is fine. The big news from this past week is that Tuesday was the premiere of Dreadful Tales, a 5e actual play anthology set in Ravenloft. The game features two DMs, ten players, four arcs, two finales, and it's going to be a TTRPG streaming experience unlike any other. Arc 1 features Strike Redkite as the Dungeon Master, and Fluffy Snowfall, Robogoblin, Feliza Cassano, Dwight the Big Bearded Nerd, and myself as the players. Where is the DM and the rest of the cast? Well, you'll need to brave the mists to find out. The show runs weekly from 8.30 Eastern Time to 10.30 Eastern Time on the Talon and Claw Twitch channel. I'll drop a link in the show notes. Speaking about strategic alignment, my guest today is Strike Redkite, the DM of Dreadful Tales and Utharian Legends over on the D4RPG Twitch channel. We chat RPGs, DMing a stream and becoming a member of a community, and what we can expect from this cool new show. And with Futharian Legends premiering Season 2 on April the 3rd, and Dreadful Tales premiering this past week, Strike had a lot to talk about. I hope you enjoy my chat with Strike Redkin. Hey, Strike, thanks so much for joining me today. I really appreciate it. Thanks for having me. I always like to start with the same question because I'm so curious about where people came from in their tabletop role-playing journey. So what was your first experience with Dungeons & Dragons? Uh, I started playing D&D in second edition, uh, which is dating me a little bit. Uh, Going all the way back, I was in middle school, and my friends had older siblings that played and had brought them in. So they started their own campaign for all of us. I don't know that second generation is quite the word for it, but the, the younger siblings, so to speak. And I've been playing it ever since. Do you have any memories of that first game the or the moment that you realized that, yes, in fact, this this was the hobby for you? I mean, I, I remember distinctly my first character was a wizard. And back in second edition, you got to cast basically one spell and then you were a commoner with a stick for the rest of the day. Uh, and I remember having to attack kobolds with my quarter staff because I was out of magic spells. Uh, I don't know that I I necessarily have a, a particular genesis moment of when it was really my my hobby, but I had been playing video game RPGs long before that point, and this just seemed like a natural extension to getting to play with my friends, which was not a thing that most video game RPGs could do at the time. Got it, got it. Yeah, that makes sense. Now, I wonder... Obviously, the pandemic has changed how we interact each other, and I'm wondering if you've been able to keep up with your TTRPGs during the pandemic, or if you've been on a forced hiatus. 
Uh, we transitioned pretty quickly to uh, digital uh, tabletops once the pandemic hit. And honestly, for me, with uh, the, the host of uh, neuro spiciness that I have, it winds up often being easier for me to run it from my computer with three monitors and being able to have all of the books in front of me and not have to flip through things to try and find things. It, it winds up often a lot more smooth and efficient for me. But I also recognize that there are a lot of folks for whom it's not the same if you're not sitting around a table and seeing people in person. Yeah, I definitely ended up playing more D&D at the start of the pandemic just because it was so readily available and everybody was into it and it was so new. And so we did a lot of Dungeons and Dragons Adventures League sort of in the, the first weeks and months. But after a while, it just, yeah, I wanted I wanted to be sitting around a table with people for sure. Oh, yeah. And, and there's certainly something to be to, to be said about that that camaraderie and that chemistry that comes with being in the same place with people. Yeah, a hundred percent. And if you're, if you're good with using the tools and lots of people have developed skills with that, it's a hundred percent, it's a hundred percent, a really good substitute for sure. And um, so it, it's great that we've had the option to, uh, to transition because I mean, shit, where would we have been if we didn't have the option? Oh yeah, absolutely. Will we like talk on the phone to people? Like, fuck. Oh yeah, no, no, that's not a thing. I know, I know. So you're the dungeon master for Utharian Legends on the D4 Twitch channel and for Dreadful Tales, which we're going to talk a lot about, I promise. Um, and you're active in a number of communities on Twitch. When and how did you get involved in the Twitch communities and online TTRPG streaming? Uh, well, it it was actually kind of a, a weird coincidence that got me to it. I wound up, I had been on Twitch for video games for a while previously, mostly lurking in, in various places um, and only chatting in a few, but I wasn't particularly active on Twitch. And in fact, uh, my username was a backup username because I could not, I had wound up, signed up for Justin TV, which is the website that Twitch was before it became Twitch, and then lost that account password, and it was pointing to an email I no longer had. So I couldn't get to my usual username that I had been using all over the internet prior to that. So I used Strike as my sort of my backup that I had been using since my old IRC days. And I figured it was fine because it didn't matter if it didn't match everything else and nobody knew who that was because I wasn't really active in the communities. And then a old friend of mine that I had met doing a Star Wars mush, and I don't know if you're old enough to know what those are, uh, but they're old text-based MMOs, basically. Uh, her roommate is what was for a long time Katie Adkins. And so I had been following Katie on Instagram and the like, and she announced that she was starting this new tabletop RPG show. And I was like, okay, well, I, you know, I want to support friends and friends of friends. So I popped into uh, what was then the Rock Punch ATL channel to, to watch the first episode of D4 and kind of fell in love with the group and 
had branched out into tabletop RPGs from there. All right. So now the inquiring minds want to know, and we're always we're always looking for things. What was your original username that is now lost to time? Uh, it's not entirely lost to time. It's in a couple of places. I can't change it on EA for reasons that I can't quite understand. But uh, it was Eladria, which was the name of an old D and D character I had. Of course, uh, of course, and that's why your that's why your Twitter username is Strike Red Kite slash Eladria. Yep, exactly. This because is what we're still occasionally people that look for me under the old name. This is what we're bringing to people. We are bringing answers to questions that everybody needs the answers to. Yep, that's how it all came to be. I stole uh, Strike Red Kite straight out of a book because I figured it didn't matter if it was original or not. And here I am. So now I want to ask you about uh, Utharian Legends. What What is it? Uh, Utharian Legends is a actual play that is set in a homebrew world that I have been working on for, gosh, the better part of a decade now. Uh, it's spun out of a desire to place a particularly nasty trap in a dungeon and play with some friends in a all-stops-pulled-out dungeon crawl, the, the sort of thing where... I wouldn't pull any punches as far as the traps go. And if it just killed them all, it killed them all. And that was how it went. Uh, and I have always drawn inspiration from things that I've read. And one of the things that I remember distinctly is I was building the keep, uh, which would be the genesis for Utharia as a world, was an old Knights of the Dinner Table comic where the DM was placing traps and wound up uh, placing a, an extra trap that wasn't meant to be a trap. But he was taking particular joy in having created this entire fortress for kobolds that actually made diegetic sense. Like it had food sources and how they were getting their food, where they got their water and all of those things. And I remember being really impressed with the idea that it, when you're building a world like that and when you're building a dungeon sure you can just this is a dungeon crawl and it doesn't really matter why the dungeon is here or who built it or why there are monsters in it and that's fine but that i wanted to go a step beyond and have reasons for it why is this trap in this dungeon in the first place why would the person who built it put it there why did they build the dungeon in this way why did they put this hallway here and so I dove way deeper into the backstory of this dungeon than I had anticipated. And it wound up as the, the genesis for a whole world that I've been spinning out ever since. You have a cast of, of five incredible players. Can you talk about bringing everybody together? Uh, I, I can certainly talk about bringing some of them together. Uh, some of them were... Uh, the work of uh, Miss Barbara Babs the Bat, who uh, helped sort of genesis it all together. I had been talking with Nate, uh, Bigby's hand, and talking about running a game. And he wanted to do a show. And I was like, yeah, I can, I can DM a game for a show. It's not a big deal. I've done a, a few 
minor appearances doing DMing on streams before. So I was, I figured I was as prepared for it as I was going to get. And since it was being set in my own world rather than a canonical world, I didn't have to worry about missing missing the lore or or making a mistake and placing the city in the wrong place or or any of those things that you know a game set in the realms or anywhere else really has to um and we wanted to get jess an opportunity to play because she had never actually played dungeons and dragons before um so Utharian legends is her first D game uh, so Finn and Jess and uh, Bigby and I were the the genesis of it. I invited a very old friend of mine from the days of that Star Wars mush, actually, uh, Trieste, a.k.a. Gloriosa, uh, to fill out a last slot. And we were originally going to go with four when Bab suggested that we invite Robogoblin. And as soon as she said it, it was one of those eureka moments like i can't believe we didn't think of this sooner of course we should invite robo goblin and i'm so glad that she did because he's been such a joy to to have on the cast all of them have really but uh it's really an honor to get to to share a table with all of them now you had your season finale in january right uh it was actually in october october okay so and it ended with a massive cliffhanger because you're a dick and yeah. it seems to be an ongoing theme that you're leaving people with these cliffhangers. And I, your season premiere is coming in April? Yes, April 3rd. Yeah, but the main difference is now that the show is moving over to the D4 Twitch channel going forward. What prompted the move? Uh, mostly it was a an administrative switch. Um, for those that aren't aware, uh, Babs the Bat, who runs Chaotic Tiefling and uh, Dustin Fletcher, uh, one of the heads of D4 are a married couple. And so it didn't make a ton of sense for the two of them to sort of compete against each other in the same space. And so the the thought was made that Chaotic Tiefling would focus more on pre-produced content things for like YouTube and that sort of thing and let D4 be the home for a lot of the TTRPG live play sorts of things. Uh, and when that decision was made, they came to me and asked if I would be up for moving UL over to D4 and sort of be their lead in on Sundays. And I said, that sounds just fine by me. And what what can we expect from the season premiere? You've been teasing it on Twitter about, oh, I've known what's going to happen for this whole time. So what 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 kind of hints can you give us that that don't range into spoilers? Well, so we we wound up deciding that the best way to handle the the cliffhanger itself, because I left the players on a cliffhanger as, as well as the viewers, uh, was to do the the portion of the scene that is taking place on the other side of the teleport uh, ahead of time and sort of pre-record it so that we had more than enough time to explore all of that without it eating the entire first episode so we'll have that prepared for folks uh the week before uh april 3rd so that should be ready at the end of march uh and i can tell you that it involves not one but two guests uh i'm sorry 
three guest NPCs. Uh, two of them, uh, obviously, are Sarah as uh, the Siren of the Sky and Babs herself as Tish, uh, the Silver Dragon. But we've got an extra special guest that we lined up that just absolutely blew us out of the water with how good their performance was. And I can't wait for everybody to be able to see it. And that's the premiere is on April the 3rd. And then the week before that, in late March, you'll be doing the pre-recorded. Yep, that's the plan. Yeah, you're a monster, sir. (laughs) Well, and if it makes you feel any better, not even all of the cast knows what happened in the pre-recorded bit. Only the part, only the cast that was actually in that scene knows. The other cast members do not. You need so to they be, are just as, as torn and, and tormented as everyone else. You need to be locked up. There's no other, <laughs> there's no other way to describe it. Okay. So Tuesday night was the premiere of Dreadful Tales, which is a horror anthology for fifth edition set in Ravenloft why did starting an actual play in Ravenloft excite you what brought you your level of interest to this concept well so I started my my tabletop role-playing journey with Dungeons and Dragons but shortly after college I wound up taking the step into LARPing And unlike a lot of the people that I've met in the TTRPG space uh, who do buffer LARPs, where you actually swing padded weapons at folks and all the rest of it, uh, I realized that I wanted part of my fantasy experience to involve not having to run around and swing things at people. So I played parlor LARP, where we threw rock, paper, scissors mightily at each other. Uh, And I did about 15 years of World of Darkness LARPing, Vampire the Masquerade, Werewolf the Apocalypse, all of them, uh, both the new and the classic World of Darkness. And I've story told in that format for everywhere from a small group of five individuals at a smaller LARP to I've run convention games for 300 plus. And because it is a horror setting, there's a lot of interesting things that can be done with it. And so when the opportunity came along to do Dreadful Tales, it gave me a chance to flex some of those horror muscles that I haven't really done in the last several years, uh, especially since the pandemic. There's not a ton of LARPing going on. Uh, But I was really excited to be able to bring that horror mentality to... Uh, a tabletop game and see what I could do as far as really bringing some some dread and some fear without it having to necessarily be the same sorts of things that a lot of horror relies on with jump scares and gore and that sort of thing. I like the, the cerebral stuff. So I'm really, I was really excited to be able to get a chance to, to do that. Now, as people who watch the show know, um, but people who haven't watched it may not, Dreadful Tales is unlike any other actual play out there because the cast includes two dungeon masters, 10 players, and shifting mists that may see changes from arc to arc. When we first talked about the concept of this sprawling 
connected narrative. What were your initial thoughts? Did you have any trepidation about it? Uh, I mean, I have trepidation all the time. I, I had a lot of trepidation in part because I'd never run a game in Ravenloft itself before. Um, plenty of horror experience, but Ravenloft, when I was a, a new player in Dungeons and Dragons in second edition, Ravenloft was, if it can be said, even less hospitable than it is now. Uh, certainly not as accessible uh, from a storytelling perspective, I think. And so it was never a place I really explored. I wasn't super familiar with the lore. I wasn't super familiar with a lot of, of what goes into Ravenloft. So I had to do a lot of research and I found a couple of friends who are Ravenloft fans that were able to help me with that as well. And reading through the books and the the nice thing is that I got the opportunity to create my own demi plane of dread without having to necessarily use one that exists, so I didn't have to worry about oh well it, it isn't actually like that sort of thing. Now we're going to be talking about the other folks that are in the cast because, as I mentioned, you've only seen one DM and five players, but there is a second DM and another five players who are going to be joining us. Our first game uh, included Fluffy Snowfall as Karina Ivanova, Dwight as Concord, Zigolem, uh, Rebel Goblin as Patrizio Della Rosa, Feliza as Taya Calor, and myself as Dr. Cornelius. What were you expecting from the cast during that first episode, and, and did it match what you got? I wasn't really 100% sure what to expect. I've only ever played with Robo Goblin before, so I have seen all of these folks play in other games, but I'd never actually run uh, alongside or for any of them. So I kind of wanted to leave a lot of my expectations sort of at the door and see where things went with it to get a, a feel for how people reacted to certain things. And I think that the level of role play that was on display and the, the characterization that everybody brought I don't think I could have expected such a great coming together of a cast that way. Uh, something you and I discussed that was really important to the integrity of the overall narrative was the, the summons and how to reliably get players from one place to another and pull them into Ravenloft using the, the Avengers or, or jury duty style model. How, how, how they got there was, was really important. Now, there's a minor spoiler alerting coming if you did miss the episode. Um, where did you get the idea for the magical summons letter? Uh, ironically, it came from a meme that I had read, I don't even know how many years ago, uh, about a woman whose aunt was particularly conservative and had read, I can't even remember which one, but it was a Stephen King novel and had gotten about halfway through before declaring that it was clearly the work of the devil and throwing it into the lake. Uh, and this woman decided that she was going to play a prank on her aunt, bought another copy of the book, soaked it in water, and then hid it in her aunt's desk. Uh, the aunt then proceeded to open the drawer, find the book soaking wet, and presumably screamed to Holy Helena. Uh, and it gave me the, the sort of idea of 
you know, rather than a Harry Potter-esque flooding of just letter after letter after letter, you can't ignore this, we're going to keep sending you new ones. My thought was it would be a lot creepier if no matter what you did, the letter just kept sitting there, that eventually you were going to have to deal with it and it would stay there as long as it took to make that happen. And it was it was very creepy. My only regret is that I didn't get a lighter and set that thing on fire for reals. Well, there's always another arc. <laughs> now, you've been working with our second DM, who we're going to keep a secret for now. I can't wait to tell people who it is. But to develop the anthology series, the overarching connected universe, and the plot. Have you ever worked with somebody else in this way? And, and how have you experienced the, the aspect of team storytelling? What, is, what has been your reaction to it so far? I mean, in a way, all tabletop role-playing games, and really all LARPs too, are team-based storytelling. But it's definitely different when you've got another person that is, is at that sort of head. Um, it's definitely something that I had a lot in LARP. There were, I was part of a, an organization that spanned all over the world with games in different countries and that sort of thing. So I, I have been used to working with other storytellers and working with uh, other people that have their own ideas and sort of collaborating them all together. And one of the nice things about the way that we are setting up the anthology is that we we're building in and leaning into that whole we're not necessarily going to do it exactly the same because we're different people we're going to remember things differently or or all of that and i think we found a way to lean into that and have that add to the the creep factor of what's going on in star wallow rather than just oh this was an oops that's not the way it's supposed to be but instead have it be oh, this is different and unusual and I'm not sure what to do with that. Um, and it's been a real joy getting to work with, with the other DM and I really can't wait to see what they, they bring to the table in their first arc. Uh, I know I'll be sitting in the audience waiting and, and watching with my hands and my chin just to, to see how that all turns out. And I, full disclosure, I, I don't know how the things are going to connect but i think and this is my guess that there is a hint of how it will progress in that very first episode and i'm not going to say too much because i don't want to be wrong but i feel like the answer to the question is in there in the first episode certainly hints at the answer if not the answer itself all right. Okay, look. Real talk. It's just me here. You know, there's a few people listening at home. What kind of hints can you give us about the story to come? I can tell you that the story is one that I wanted to explore the the concept of consequences, both intended and unintended. Um, it's a really cliche phrase that the road to hell is paved with good intentions. And We've always seen a lot of stories, especially in the horror genre, where in a lot of ways we kind of look at it as the ends justify the means. If you can destroy the big bad at the end, I mean, 
how many of your friends died along the way, but at least you destroyed the big bad at the end. And I wanted to look at uh, an idea for horror that didn't insulate its characters and its viewers from looking at what the the consequences are of those things that it isn't as simple as just oh well we did a good thing in the end so that wipes out everything before that or did you do bad things or, or good things along the way and what can that happen? Uh, one of the, the neat concepts that has been happening in video game RPGs of late has been that whole all of your decisions matter. So when you say yes to this person or no to that person, or I'm going to say this person instead of that person, it all winds up affecting the story down the road. And I wanted to really play in a horror space where those consequences will be a big deal. And it's not just about what happens in the end, but the road you take to get there. Based on what you've seen so far, who is your favorite Dreadful Tales character? And why is it Dr. Cornelius? No, I'm just, I'm sorry. I'm just, I'm just kidding. No, no, that I'm lying about just kidding. I'm not kidding. Why is it Dr. Cornelius? I mean, all five of the characters are really fantastic each in their own way. Dr. Cornelius brings a level of everyman to the story that is, in a lot of ways, our, our audience POV character, because he's the one that's looking around and knowing, wait, th- none of this is making any sense. Why, why are we doing this? He is the, the Franz Krantz in the Cabin in the Woods movie sort of character, where why uh, am I the only one that sees all of the weirdness that is going on? Why is everybody else so completely unfazed by like we all got magically kidnapped and nobody seems to really mind what the heck is going on here? And I really love that that perspective is brought into the story because I think that it helps a lot of audience members get into it and going, oh, I don't know, I'd probably be pretty freaked out too if I read a letter and then I wound up in some tavern in some place told that I can't go home until I do some bizarre task that may be deadly. I mean, that was great. I was expecting you to completely sidestep that question and you started doing it and then you were talking talking all, all nice about me. So thank you very much for that. Well, I mean, all of the characters bring a lot of, of interesting pathos to the story itself. I mean, Taya is coming from a very different culture being from the underdark and you know being on a, a survival level sort of thing where you know to a degree okay well if this is the thing i have to do to to help feed and and support my loved ones then that's i guess that's what i have to do and it's interesting to see and and will be interesting to see what sort of decisions that leads her to make as far as what the the story unfolds to is it you know is she more likely to make the decision to push on with the mission because she has people waiting for her on the other side of this mission than maybe some of the other characters do um on the the, the flip side of that, Concord, is coming from a very duty-bound place. And while this is a different kind of duty, 
it's also the kind of duty that allows a little more flexibility and it may bring him an opportunity to find some some ways to sort of couch his normal duties with things that are otherwise positive for them and i i look forward to seeing how concord plays out with that aspect of it um karina obviously is as a uh a a denizen of ravenloft in general is sort of the local and so she brings considerably more knowledge about the sort of things that is that are happening she hasn't shared a ton of it with the group just yet but it will be really interesting to see how her knowledge affects what goes on because she's got a, a probably the best idea of what is going on in the group of all of them and then patricio is bringing this haunted almost fleeing his own past sort of thing to the story that makes it feel very Silent Hill-like. And I just love the idea of a character that is actively battling their own demons and not just, oh yes, I had a tragic backstory because I'm a D&D character and all of us do, but is, is actively dealing with that trauma in a way that a lot of characters don't. And so I, I will really look forward to seeing how that plays off of some of the other characters in the group. And I think that we've seen, at least from the trailers that that we put out for the show, that more than a few of the characters have secrets. Mm-hmm, and, absolutely. And, and seeing how those secrets are revealed, if they ever revealed, or they interact with the story or the group in some way, I think will be revelatory in a lot of ways. Absolutely. And of course, if you watch the first episode or you're in chat, it it's already it's already become okay to be shipping Karina and Patrizio, affectionately known as Catrizio, just based on their based on the start of their role play. So if you're if you're if you're watching the the show and and you see something there, you're not the only one. Oh, absolutely. And it'll be really interesting to see how a lot of that winds up shaking out in the end, because so much of these characters are playing off each other for the first time. And I think it's it's particularly interesting because not just the characters are meeting for the first time, but in a lot of cases, the players are sort of meeting for the first time. So there's a lot of, of authenticity to the feeling out. And that's that's what is going to make Dreadful Tales unique is that we have created a situation where we're playing in a horror game that is going to have elements of suspense, elements of a lack of understanding of what's happening, but we're going to be putting players in a situation where they're never going to be, how would I say it? They're never going to completely become accustomed because things are going to change. And I think that provides something a bit different for our show than other shows because there's going to be that level of the mists coming in and just saying no. Because as Karina rightly mentioned, the mists have a will of their own. Absolutely. Thanks, Strike, for joining me. Uh, I look forward to the rest of the campaign and for the premiere of Utharian Legends coming in a few weeks. 
Thank you very much for having me. It was wonderful to chat with you. It's over. We're done now. Subscribe, though. It's always good having you here. And remember, if the die is cocked, it doesn't count. I look forward to chatting with you again next week.